0: I was playing WoW this week, just bobbing along doing my Dragon Isles of Dailies, when I saw that a friend was in Molten Core, the first official raid of World of Warcraft and a dungeon extremely off the beaten path, way down in Blackrock Mountain. Of course, my first question was, why? I know it's not out of the ordinary for people to solo old raids for transmogs, but you can do so much better than Molten Core. And if it sounds like I'm being hard on MC, it's because I am. Because it's probably, objectively, the worst raid in World of Warcraft. We've talked about it briefly on the Anixia's Lair episode, but Molten Core was a stopgap. A raid created in less than a week because the dev team needed to get content out for release ready. And that sort of shows in the time frame of everything. The raid takes place in one gigantic cavern that is basically a reskin of Blackrock Lair. All of the enemies minus the Flame Walkers, are just oversized versions of other enemies already seen in the game. And its one reputation grind with the now-defunct Hydraxian Waterlords is, to date, the only faction that's basically been removed from the game without a trace. Yeah, you can still earn Hydraxian Waterlord rep in MC2 this day, but... There is no point. Unless you are like my friend Jeremy and are going after that achievement in order to get, I think it's around 50 Exalted's, maybe it's 44. It's a lot, and he's almost there. Um, So, more power to him. And as we've mentioned before, Molten Core was the first and last raid tested by members of the dev team, as they couldn't even finish it. This would be a theme... As from the first time Molten Core was started, it would take another 154 days before any guild would down Ragnaros, with the first kill coming from U.S. Horde server Ascent in April of 2005. However, Molten Core is still an interesting relic for multiple reasons. Not only did it remain as one of the few raids that needed attunement to get into— but it was also the end cap to an important story in WoW lore, even if the raid itself really didn't highlight it. That story begins with the War of the Three Hammers, the Dark Iron Dwarves and their attempt to grab power, and an elemental lord we all know and love who will literally never go away, Fire Lord Ragnaros. Despite Core being somewhat of a joke, it also gave us some of the first iconic memes of the game— Raiding back in Burning Crusade, I remember people doing a slash yell of Ragnaros' infamous line of right before burning his former major domo to death. And while a buggy mess, the Ragnaros fight was of a scale and scope not seen yet in WoW at the time. So much so that you literally couldn't scroll your camera out far enough to see the entire encounter. So today we venture into Blackrock Lair, Walk across that big stupid chain, take a right at the Tomb of the Dwarf Elders, get lost and accidentally go into Blackrock Depths, then go back out and head down into Molten Core, one of the launch raids of World of Warcraft and a buggy mess of historic proportions. This is Essence of Azeroth. Today's episode and a year of podcasts from EOA are brought to you by our generous subscribers, including Brooke, Otto, Melissa bergen daniel jeff kelly and josh consider giving to the podcast monthly especially as i gear up for 2023 and look to begin a long-term series to kick off the year which we will talk about at the end of the episode so hang around over at patreon.com forward slash essence of azeroth and maybe eventually in 2023 i will learn to say whether it's patreon or patreon until then i'm just gonna say whatever and now a short word from our sponsors
1: you're listening to kpr up next is too soon executus too soon with fire lord ragnaros from kpr deep deep down in Ragefire fire chasm this is too soon executus too soon the kpr news quiz Hello all you lovely carbon based life forms out there. Welcome to Too Soon, Executus Too Soon. The quiz show of everyone's favorite immortal elemental being Me, Fire Lord Ragnaros. Now you may be wondering why I would ever lower myself to such interaction methods as everyone knows radio is the lowest form of entertainment. But when you're an undying fire demon and you've been banished a few too many times, you begin to wonder if it's time to branch out, try new things. Also, I may have threatened Lauro Licklock's toilet with hot molten magma if he didn't give me the airtime for free. <laughs> uh... Goblins. Adorable. Um... <clears throat> well, Anyways, we're here down in beautiful Ragefire Chasm with two victims, er, um, contestants today, hoping to see if they have what it takes to be my new major domo. I've ran into a string of bad luck with my last two. Gordoth was right—never trust a druid. So we're here to see if these 2 fleshbag mortals are up to the task of being the mouthpiece to the perpetual apocalypse from the Eternal Plains. The rules are simple. They'll get a trivia question, and when they get it wrong, I explode their insides with fiery, slag-filled pain. Let's not waste of any time. Here's our first sacrifice. She's a blood elf hunter venturing out from Kaelthalas for the first time and looking for adventure. Here's Alcestis, my new Major Domo. Introduce yourself, sweetie.
0: Hi. Uh, is this where the dungeon entrance was supposed to be?
1: They told me to walk down here and meet the group while we waited for a tank. Oh, you're adorable. Who doesn't love fresh meat? Don't worry, sweet Kindling. We're just here to play a game. Here's your first question. Where is the hidden ruins of the Hydraxian Waterlords located? Um, what? A Waterlord? Is that a thing? I've just been fighting
0: bears and ghouls for the past week. I don't think I've seen anything like that. Some guy in a Zeppelin told me to get on, and suddenly I'm in this big, ugly desert filled with orcs, and I'm just trying to make friends. So someone told me that Ragefire Chasm was where I should go, but then my bow broke in half, and I don't have any money, so...
1: Ooh, too bad. No answer is just as bad as a wrong answer, I'm afraid, and you all know what that means. Too soon. Looks like it's slag o'clock for you, Cupcake. What do you that's nice. Never get tired of the smell of burning mortals. You just can't recreate that scent at home, no matter how many candles I buy. <sighs> it looks like I am in need of a new major domo. Sadly, my contract with KPR only provides one free meat sack per show, so we'll have to improvise. Meet my new majordomo, Lovins, all the way from Valdraken. My friend Aragog sent me a little gift from the Dragon Isles, and this little guy now speaks for me. Look at his tiny scales. Isn't he cute? Who's gonna be a little murder monster? It's you. (coughs) Um, some business first. Here's your question. What did former Major Domo executive say after he let all the runes in my molten core get deactivated? Take your time, sweetie. That's correct! Nothing! Because I set him ablaze for his impudence. (laughs) Excellent work, Major Domo Lovins. Who's a good boy? It's you. Together, we shall set Azeroth aflame and bring the work of the Titans down once and for all. And that's all the time we have for you this week on... Too soon, Executus. Too soon. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see each and every one of you when I begin to set a miserable plan of fire. Take care!
0: To talk about Molten Core from a lore perspective, there's actually a lot of setup and explanation of other factions that needs to happen, as its creation and the reasons for the adventurers of WoW heading into the depths involves political deceit, a long-standing war, a rift between father and daughter, forbidden love, and more. It also involves fire, because all things begin that way. And you'll be happy to know that this tale doesn't begin with the Titans. No, the story of Molten Core begins long before the Titans even became aware of the world soul known as Azeroth. It starts on the nascent surface of what would be Azeroth, and a world torn asunder by the four elements of life—air, water, fire, and earth— A fifth element was at work as well, though its absence is what caused the initial disruption of the elements on this planet. The spirit of life is the connection of all things. The monks of Pandaria refer to it as chi, the trolls call it the echo. And the world soul of Azeroth called it dinner, as the elemental imbalance was caused by the planet absorbing the energy that it required to mature and millennia from that point hatch into a new titan. However, with no life on this planet, it had to draw that energy from somewhere, draining what would eventually become the Emerald Dream. This caused all hell to break loose on Azeroth, with it becoming a hub for access from the elemental planes and its elemental lords. And while the elemental lords aren't what you would call friends, they mostly strived to live in harmony. Except for one. The Fire Lord Ragnaros, master of lava and cinder and ash, hated most among the other elemental lords due to the fact that Ragnaros wanted to see everything burn. Literally. Quickly, the War of the Elements became a three-on-one attack as Ragnaros defended himself against the others. And that fighting continued on incessantly until a much larger threat arrived in the form of the Black Empire, breaking ground on Azeroth and looking to use its life energy to bring itself from the great darkness of the void. Because if you remember our talk from On the Black Empire exists in this like nether space where it's the thought of a thing. Like it's an idea taken from H.B. Lovecraft and Cthulhu that it both exists and doesn't. So it's kind of in this liminal space and needs something in order to pull itself into the world. So, a truce was called, and the elemental lords vowed to one another. This is actually something players can see now and get a glimpse of, thanks to Dragonflight and the Bronze Dragonflight questline out in Thaldrassus. I won't give away any spoilers, but you do see a certain Fire Lord living his best life and blowing things up while on top of a pyramid. Good for him. However, it would not last long, as even the four elements and their lords and infinite armies could not defeat the Black Empire, becoming enslaved and locked into the elemental planes as servants of the Akir. It's here that the titan-forged armies descended upon the Black Empire finally, with Tyr and Odin leading the charge of attack. Ragnaros was placed in their path by the Black Empire, and so a massive brawl began that saw Tyr and Odin finally push Ragnaros back and into the eastern lands underneath what would eventually become the Red Ridge Mountains, their combined might crushing the Firelord down into the depths of the mountain and forcing him into the elemental plane of the Firelands, locking Ragnaros away. However, the Firelord wasn't alone there, ...locked away with the other lo- elemental lords, including Thunderin, Prince of Air, and in a battle called the Elemental Sundering. They battled for decades, with Ragnos finally giving an advantage, winning, and literally devouring the Air Prince. This is why Thunder Fury is actually obtainable in molten core because Ragnaros filled up on so much of Thunderin's energy that he couldn't finish him. so he let his two lieutenants split the, what was left of him up, which is why the half pieces of Thunder Fury dropped from those lieutenants. So Ragnaros, still trapped but even greater in power than before, established sulfuron keep in the firelands biding his time until he could pierce the elemental veil once more. And this is where Ragnaros sat for the longest time. Even so, his power was still enough to punch holes in the elemental plane and send his minions through to Azeroth. And that brings us to 250 years before the start of World of Warcraft, and a war that would change the face of Azeroth forever. In many ways, I feel like the dwarves are the most underdeveloped weight race in WoW, despite being so incredibly important to the lore. Not only as they are the race with the closest ties to the Titans, but so much of the architecture found on Azeroth is in direct relation to dwarven history, especially in the Eastern Kingdoms. Even still, it would be almost impossible now for a new player to get any idea of what the Dwarves are all about, short of the fact that they have a gigantic city inside a mountain that, if we're being honest, is the real capital city of the Alliance. Yeah, Stormwind is there, but I feel like from a utilitarian standpoint, and as a new player, Ironforge was always the more useful city, Which makes sense, as there's an argument to be made that Ironforge, short of Zandalar, was the biggest and most important capital in all of Azeroth for a time. It's also where the three houses of the Dwarven Kingdom called home. The Wildhammer, the Bronzebeard, and the Dark Iron. All of this is very Game of Thrones, with the three tribes all vying for control of Ironforge against the best interests of everyone involved, and with each taking control at various points and for various amounts of time. To call the War of Three Hammers a war is selling it a bit short, as you could argue the Civil War began from the inception of the Dwarven people and never really stopped, short of in the recent age. However, if there was a starting point for the greatest hostilities, it came with the death of beloved king and ruler Modimus Anvilmar, who you might recognize as the gigantic dwarf statue holding aloft two hammers as you enter Ironforge from the front. The king died of old age, which set off a power play from all sides, with all three factions coming together to ensure that Modimus' sons couldn't take the throne, thus kicking off the war. Eventually, Ironforge was taken control of by the Bronzebeard Clan, as they were the most numerous and honestly the best well trained, kicking the unpredictable Wildhammers and the conniving Dark Irons out of the city. The Wildhammer Clan ventured to the Hinterlands to set up shop, but also established a new capital city in Grim Batal, out in the marshes. While the Dark Iron Dwarves, led by the sorcerer Thane Tharasan, started their own city in the Red Ridge Mountains named after their leader. And this is where things held for a while until Tharasan grew tired of passivity and made one last attempt at power this time attacking Grim Batal with his whole force, including his shadow priest wife, who ended up killed in the attack, but also caused Grim Batal to be forever cursed by the shadow monstrosities from her power. His army's gone and his wife dead, Tharasand pulled a last-ditch effort attempt at revenge, using dark magic of the void to attempt in summoning a demon to destroy his enemies and right the wrongs. And instead, he accidentally opened up the Firelands and let out Ragnaros. Whoops. Tharasand died in the explosion. The Red Ridge Mountains detonated in a massive detonation... Yes, a massive detonation... <laughs> ...that created the burning steps and the searing gorge and a massive mountain called Blackrock. That now sat where the Dark Irons had called home, with the molten core of Ragnaros sitting at the very bottom... The Fire Lord enslaved what was left of the Dark Iron tribe and their new leader, Dagran Tharasan, who led the dwarves in proxy and reveled in his new power, but also hated that his people had been forced into slavery. The arrival of Ragnaros and the destruction of the region led to a truce between the Bronzebeard and Wildheimer clans, thus setting the stage for World of Warcraft. So, we know how Moltencore came to be... But why did the adventurers of Azeroth end up at the doorstep of the Fire Lord? Well, there's a story for that, too. We won't be going into her full history, but there's few characters more interesting or compelling than Moira Bronzebeard, later known as Moira Tharasan, and current leader of the Dark Iron Dwarves. However, before that, she was a princess and daughter to Magni Bronzebeard, King of Ironforge, and a man extremely upset at his inability to have a son. So he pulled a Robin Shcherbatsky and just treated Moira like she was a man, training her in the ways of the warrior against her wishes. Magni's wishes for a son weren't a secret, either. The king made it known to all of his advisors that he saw no way that a woman could ever be allowed to rule Ironforge, which is what would happen if anything should befall the king. However, it's at this point that Dagran Tharasand began making moves once more and ordered to create a new army on behalf of Ragnaros and begin the takeover of the surface world. Because at this point, Ragnaros had discovered the ability to animate golems using the power of the Titan's facilities, able to bring life into rock. Basically meaning he could create an immortal, untiring army. As a failsafe, Dagren kidnaps Moira, and plans to use her as a bargaining chip to take over Ironforge. However, two things were at work. One, and this is my own speculation, but I don't think Magni was too broken up over his daughter's kidnapping. Yes, he loved his daughter, but her being out of the picture also meant the line of succession no longer went to her. The second thing happening was Moira and Dagrin falling in love, with the two talking about their hopes for the Dwarven people, and Dagrin admitting that he only wanted what was best for all of the dwarves and would do anything to accomplish that, even if it meant playing along with Ragnaros until a point when he could make a move. And so, they got married, Moira became pregnant, and the two ruled over the Shadowforge city of Tharasan until a group of meat-headed adventurers were finally sent in by the king to kill Dagren and get Magni's daughter back. Boy, it sure does seem that the heroes of Azeroth get used as unwitting tools an awful lot, right? Moira is actually involved in the boss fight against Dagren, which is interesting, casting priest spells in support of her soon-to-be-dead king. It isn't long after this in-game that Moira is now the Emperor of the Dark Irons, and begins crafting a way to free her newfound people. As it turns out, she was extremely beloved by most of the Dark Irons. However, she knew her new people's limits, and they would never be able to beat at Ragnaros. So she uses the dummy adventurers of Azeroth to her advantage, spreading rumors that Ragnaros had a limitless army in the heart of Molten Core, and that his vast treasures awaited any group of heroes able to send the Fire Lord back to his prison. At the same time, she also let it be known that Ragnaros was getting ready to break free and planned to start a new elemental war, which reached the ears of the Hydraxian Waterlords, the representatives of Neptalon that were still left on Azeroth, because not all of the elementals were looking for destruction, so plenty of them were still out on the surface world. And they were out in Azara, Way out in Azara. In fact, um... Guilds that were raiding Molten Core at the time often complained that in order to get ready as raid prep, they had to go out to Azara to buy their item from the Hydraxian Lodder Lords that allowed them to progress, which meant that they basically had to camp their characters out there either at the end of the night or at the beginning of the night and then blow the cooldown on their hour-long hearthstone. Um, just one of the many great things about raiding in vanilla, am I right? So yes, it is that easy. Just like that, by spreading rumor, Moira Tharasian was able to elaborately put together the downfall of an immortal being. It really is that easy, huh? Like I said, just pure idiots, the wee heroes of Azeroth. <laughs> Moira would go on to free her people from the grasp of Ragnaros, thanks to the mercenaries of Azeroth, and later would attempt a coup on Ironforge via the right of Succession through her son, Daggerin II. However, Anduin Wren would be part of sorting that mess out and helping the dwarves figure out their power problem after Magni turned into a giant crystal and left a massive power vacuum in Ironforge. Now, that's a story that is still somewhat developing, though the Dark Irons are whelped them back with open arms into the Alliance, and now we're completely on the side of good. Eh, but for now, instead, and so... We're heading down into Molten Core to see how the idiot savants of Azeroth put away the Fire Lord for good. Spoilers, it took a while and there were a lot of bugs involved. As usual. The absolute garbage fire that is Molten Core actually started from the beginning, with the NPC Lothos Riftwalker. The NPC was meant as the attunement keeper for Molten Core, giving players a quest that would let them access the raid and teleport them in. The quest involved heading into Blackrock depths in an out-of-the-way area and grabbing an item. However, the hilarity with old Lothos is that initially he didn't teleport players to Molten Core there was a portal in the window next to him that you'd jump through in order to get into the raid to be teleported. And sometimes that portal wouldn't trigger, leading players just jumping through a window and falling into that infamous inescapable lava lake at the bottom of Blackrock. Eventually Blizzard would patch this so that Lothos just teleported the player in, but I think this was simply a bad omen of things to come. Molten Core was released in November of 2004, one of two 40-man raids in the base version of World of Warcraft. However, the attunement for Onyxia would take far more effort than anyone would be able to do as soon as they hit 60, leaving Molten Core as the true first raid of the game as it was the only one anybody could get into. Featuring 10 bosses, Molten Core was actually a huge advancement in in in-game MMO content to this point, and especially an evolution of the boss encounters typically found in WoW up to that point. Firstly, fire resist gear was needed to keep players from being one-shotted by even the most basic of abilities, but there was also the need for players to bring and use fire resist potions and precise moments during the boss fights to activate things and using lots of different items to kind of game the system especially for tanks. Up until the release of Wrath of the Lich King, Molten Core was actually still being ran, both as a test of a guild's ability to work together, but also because of the raid's potential for two legendary weapons and the Tier 1 raid set available for each class. Tier 2 legs, in the case of Downing Ragnaros. However, the popularity of MC quickly dwindled upon the release of AQ40 and Naxramus, Ramus, as the gear suddenly was completely overshadowed by even basic drops from both of those raids, especially from the outdoors uh, ruins of Enquirage. For the most part, the boss fights of Molten Core are unspectacular in that tank and spank kind of way that a lot of old content used to be. There was an interesting wrinkle involved in, with the boss order, though, which is really what makes Molten Core stand out. See, the overarching goal of Molten Core is to get to Ragnaros, which requires dowsing the magic runes of seven bosses. Back in the day, and in order to douse these runes, you needed to get an item from the Hydraxian Waterlords faction, which is now defunct. Which meant getting rep for the faction of the Waterlords, which meant doing Molten Core... Which is why it took almost half a year for a guild to down Ragnaros, as most guilds couldn't even unlock the fight, let alone get to it. And as an added wrinkle there, the item that you had to get from the Hydraxian Waterlords required you to be honored, and it was a one-time use. So you would have to go out there and buy them again the next week, and one item only doused one rune. So you had to get seven people to go out and get seven of these items to douse the seven runes. Just complete guesswork there was also the added bonus to this raid's boss order of needing a hunter and helping that hunter get the tome of tranquilizing shot if you remember from past episodes vanilla wow had spells that were only obtainable from tomes found in raids and as you would have it the molten core boss magnamar was essentially unkillable without a tranq shot hunter However, the boss Luciferon had to be killed before Magmadar because Luciferon always dropped the tome. There was a lot of this in Molten Core, including later on when two bosses, Beren Geddon and Shazra, as well as Gehennes and Gar, are essentially right next to each other, out in the open, meaning you had to be extremely careful on how the group pulled, when, and where a lot of wipes actually involved accidentally pulling both bosses and added bonus because we talked about bugs often if you accidentally pulled one um sometimes a boss would just despawn and it wouldn't come back meaning that you just couldn't progress for that week right isn't that great and if all that sounds like a slog meant to kill weeks upon weeks of attempts on the raid you're probably right In addition to all of that, everyone in the raid needed massive amounts of fire resist gear, much of which couldn't be crafted without Thorium Brotherhood Rep to craft the epic fire resist gear that everyone needed, which in turn required materials only found on Molten Core trash. It's almost like they designed this raid to be a time waster so they could finish other content. Weird. The two biggest bosses of note here are the Major Domo fight and Ragnaros himself. Ragnaros couldn't be fought until Executus was quote-unquote killed, and Executus couldn't be fought until seven of the runes had been doused. Then and only then could players hike all the way up his hill on the far side of the raid and take on the Flamewalker's platoon of baddies. And yeah, Moltencore might be one of the slowest raids in the history of the game. Its circular design requires you to backtrack at least once and up to four times if you accidentally do something out of order. ...like a certain podcast host did when soloing it just a few hours ago. Yeah. The Executus fight looks like a big ol' mess, with nine total enemies counting the Major Domo. Executus is immune to damage, so it's Raid's job to take the adds down and protect against Major Domo's shadow magic and his reflex spells. The trick back in the day was to hex or sheep the healers, then use stuns to keep them locked down while eliminating the elites... Meanwhile, a hunter and paladin would keep executives busy, using a combination of misdirect and defying shield to try to kite him as most as possible. This was also one of the rare cases where mages and warlocks could potentially tank, using ice block or a tank pet to keep the caster distracted while the group burns down the adds one by one. The tricky part comes in the form of Executus' shield spell, which he could cast on any of the adds, and essentially made them immune to all damage and reflected all spells for 10 seconds. However, there's an obvious slash yell in the chat when that happens, so you can kind of base your fight around that and guess. And if you think Executus sounds familiar, literally, his voice actor, Mark Growl, has voiced over 50 characters across World of Warcraft, including Lord Sanguinar... Prince Melchazar, Gruel, Patchwork, and more. It's like all of my favorite bosses, like right there. <laughs> After players pummel the Major Domo's posse, he'll give up the goat and tell you to go to Ragnaros' lair, the big spiral back at the start of the raid, which of course means more walking. The Ragnaros arena is set in lava with small aisles of ground set in a spiral to the center where Ragnaros will stand, unmoving upon being summoned. And, of course, that famous dialogue that follows is some of my favorite in WoW history. Too soon.
1: You have awakened me too soon, Executus. What is the meaning of this intrusion? Fool. You allowed these insects to run rampant through the hallowed core. Now you lead them to my very lair. You have failed me, Executus. Justice shall be met indeed.
0: The Ragnaros fight had two phases. The first lasted three minutes and involved casters in the circle's outer area, while melee tanks and the melee attackers were at max range within the inner circle. During this time, Ragnaros had a number of annoying spells, including a lava wave, a knockback that could send multiple opponents into the lava, and a spell that would cause durability damage to weapons from melee strikes. Cool. This knockback, it's also important to know, would set priority to casters with a mana bar, so you had to especially make sure that your casters were well out of harm and not moving up or stuck anywhere. In the second phase, Ragnaros would go under the lava for 90 seconds, while ads called Sons of Flame appeared, which could drain the mana bar of any casters that it damaged. Anywhere from 8 to 12 of these guys could pop up, and as you can imagine, mana was a much harder resource to take care of and keep back in the days of vanilla, so even one or two casters getting hit could spell disaster. This would repeat over and over this cycle. Three minutes, 90 seconds. Three minutes, 90 seconds. In addition to the mana issue, this was the peak of everyone needs fire resist gear, and guilds would try every trick in the book to try and get more of fire resist without uh, equipping armor. Because back in the day, the armor basically was you could either have resist gear or you could have DPS gear, and you had to try to find a balance between the two. So this trick involved going into lower Blackrock Spire where an enemy that was there could be mind-controlled, and then you use the spell from the enemy to give the entire party uh, 80 fire resist to everybody for an hour. But of course, this also meant delving into lower Blackrock Spire and essentially clearing the first third of it. And if all of that wasn't enough, Ragnaros would permanently despawn for the week if not killed in 90 minutes. Have fun! The EU guild Method has a complete history of this period on their website at method.gg, but the most interesting aspect was how the guild came close to getting permanently banned for abusing a glitch involving Executus. The guild found that Executus would de- would respawn 12 hours after being downed, which led Method to using this glitch for 8 days in a row to essentially gear out all of their guild and the best weapons of the time, and down Ragnaros over and over and over. As former raider Wormy says, their server was extremely competitive and, quote, When a holy priest stood in Orgrimmar wielding a purple rogue dagger from Ragnaros, our reputation dropped with the rest of the server. At one point, a GM even dropped into the raid to tell them that if they pulled the glitch again, they would all be permanently banned. Funny enough, Blizzard let them keep the weapons they had already farmed. However, as Wormy says, he'd do it again as it was the mentality at the time, to find any glitch or bug and use it and abuse it non-stop, because that was the way they made progress. And abuse it they did. While they weren't the first to down Ragnaros, Method was certainly in the thick of it, with the first rag kill coming 154 days from a release. It was a hard fight that required more coordination than any WoW encounter to date, It's also just another example of why WoW Classic fails as a concept, and that magic can't be recreated, as Rag was downed almost instantly by guilds with little to no trouble. Ragnaros would return time and time again, including in the Firelands Raid from Cataclysm, which I'm sure we'll talk about down the road. However, this marks the end of our journey for Season 3 of Essence of Azeroth, and the last episode of 2022, on the final day of 2022. (laughs) I want to thank everybody who joined me on this return to podcast creation this year. At the start of the year, I was depressed and sick and worried. Multiple family members almost died. I lost a job. It was all just bad. However, getting back to this podcast really did a lot to giving me back some structure to my life. And that wouldn't have happened without people listening And liking this weird show that I do And supporting it And thank you I'm going to take a bit of a break From the beginning of January But when we come back with season 4 It's going to be part of something special Join me as we spend Multiple episodes And I'm talking about 5 to 8 potentially Covering the entirety Of the Burning Crusade expansion Including its raids, lore Some side stuff that remains hard to do to this date and we're even going to take a trip to Castle Karazhan, my favorite raid. Prepare to walk through the Dark Portal with me in 2023, folks. I'll see you then. Happy New Year's, and take care.
1: What did former Major Domo executive say after he let all of the runes in my molten core get deactivated? <laughs>